Welcome back to the Rack Watchers. Uh, something a bit different this week. Uh, Matt and I thought we want to spread out, spread our wings a bit, get you know some culture on the podcast. So pretend, we've, pretend we're pretend, pretending we're intellectuals. Well, that's we're, we're not pretending we're intellectuals. We're getting the intellectuals on. We're getting right, the people of it. culture. Right. So we thought we'd get somebody from the arts in. So we got a uh, Michael Trant, a uh, author of Ridgeview Station, and now Wild Dogs. So, uh, Andrew? so basically f- three wild dogs on a podcast. Yeah, that's the one. I think you're scraping the bottom of the barrel if you're looking for intellect and artists. But yeah, no, it's it a good start anyway. You can only go well, up We, we had to start somewhere, you know. <laughs> you can only go up. Start on the floor and you can reach the ceiling. That's the one. Michael, tell us quickly, who who are you? Like, uh, where, yeah. where are you from? What you do? Uh, so uh, I grew up a uh, WA boy. I grew up on a farm around Eniaba, um, just sort of north of Perth between, well, yeah, sort of just south of Geraldton, north of Perth, sort of thing on the Brand Highway there. Farming town, farming family. Um, married a girl from a neighbouring town, and we sort of started our own farming ventures, and ended up running a big sheep export depot up at Geraldton, and bought a station out at Yogu, and and then um, it all turned to shit with the live export thing, <laughs> and then yeah, sort of battled away for a while, and we separated about five or six years ago. So now I'm down in Perth writing books and working up on farms at Three Springs. Right. Oh well, we'll we'll get into it with our. This this might be an interesting one. I, I've been told that offers generally, there's something a bit odd with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've met a few now, and yet now we're all cooked. And so, so how we like to start the podcast is with our psychological test. Okay. Here we go. So, so we call it the uh, six sense. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna fire off six words to you. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to give it's word association. Got to give yep. us the first thing that comes back to your mind. Short statement or, yep. or, or short word. Matt, jump in. Tommy Emmanuel. Legend. Absolute <laughs> bloody legend. Yep. No, I've I spent many hours in FIFO Dongers trying to learn his bloody songs and managed to get him to a half reasonable lesson, but then I've forgotten them all since I've been writing. <laughs> I've been busy doing other stuff. Microsoft Word. Uh, yes, no, good, good, um, but has its limitations for writing. Black pudding. Yeah. Never tried it, but I don't think I could bring myself to just knowing what's in it. <laughs> Crocs. Rocks. They're about the same, actually. Never tried them, and I have very strong opinions on them. <laughs> uh, live sheep export. Oh, that's a that's a kettle of fish, isn't it? Yeah. Um, hard work. Hard work. I remember that. We did a lot of hard work with that. Is it? Um, do you, I'm digressing just why Andrew thinks mm-hmm. of his last one, but um, in a, in a you know kind of one word answer, is it going to survive? Do you think, or is it is it eventually going to be toast? Oh, I think eventually it probably will be. I just the way the world's gone, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, I just you could see it dwindling, and I think you could see the writing was on the wall a while ago. Um, and as long as it's a gradual decline, I think that'll be a lot better than a sudden shut off. Because I know we got stung fairly hard when that happened. He's still oh, thinking. I'm still thinking. He's I, 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 I forgot. <laughs> I had one at the top of my tongue there, and I just forgot it. Preparation, that's, that's a good word. Preparation. That's yeah. <laughs> Pro- professional podcasts. <laughs> Not you guys. Right. Well, I reckon, because I, I literally just had a completely blank mind there, so I reckon we just jump into it. So let's let's start from the beginning, Michael, yeah? Mm-hmm. You, you studied, and it's probably a bit of an interesting podcast, mostly – we talk about markets, uh, but we kind of spread amongst different things, depending on what, if we find it's interesting or not. Uh, but you, you started off writing a, a blog about live yeah. export. And yeah, then- so uh, back when the whole export thing blew up, back whenever that was, I've forgotten the year, but um, that was when there was very few farmers and whatever on social media. Um, and there was a big push on by the MLA to get some more people on board. And I think they brought, I forgot, forgot the fellow's name, some big American blogger, cattle farmer, over to show us all how to do it. And I sort of got interested and I'd always been able to pen a reasonably strong-worded letter, um, save myself lots of money doing that sort of thing, like 
cutting bills in half and explaining why people should pay us and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, gave it a crack and it sort of took off, I think, because I was mainly just pulling the piss out of myself with it. And then every now and then I'd write something serious. And I've always, and from that, I found that if you can be funny or if you're funny normally, but then you suddenly take a serious turn, people seem to pay a lot more attention because obviously it means something important to you if you're not joking about it as much. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I did that. I did everything from just it's funny little posts about us welding up sheep yards to the golden rules of farming, which was the Murphy's law. They took off. We've got to do something with those one day too. And then um, oh, someone said they should write a book and we were doing, trying to get into tourism out at Gabby on at the time. I thought, well, yeah, I'd give it a crack. So I did. I Over the years, going to a couple of years, I just sort of knocked up this rough manuscript and sent it off to the publisher and never heard back because it was crap basically but then just kept working on it over time and um i had it sitting in the drawer and then like when wife and i separated i pulled it out about 12 months later because i'd actually done a uh, kickstarter program to get some money to get the thing looked at professionally by an editor and all my blog readers backed me into the hilt and like we raised we raised six grand which right. was amazing so all these people just basically pre-bought a book that I'd written that they had no idea what it was about, except it was about a sheep station. Um, so yes, yeah, so I pulled it out and got. Well, actually, I'd actually had sent it off to a fellow in the meantime, and he came back with some very good advice. So once things had settled down with the separation, whatever, I uh, re rejigged it a bit and sent it off, and Alan and Unwin picked it up, and we took off from there. It's a um, it's a big difference, though. I would presume not having written a book before or even blogged to that perspective i guess but um like a blog's really a, a factual kind of account of what's going on you might bring in some some fictional stuff but isn't that a big leap to go from writing a blog about you know what's going on in your personal kind of area yeah. to, to, to actually constructing a, a non-fictional kind of story yeah well it is because i sort of went halfway because the ridgeview was fairly memoir like like it's what we were doing on the station you know we're running sheep we got burned out pretty badly with a big bushfire, um, had backpackers working there. So I sort of took all those details that I knew about and then just made them a bit more dramatic and exciting and, you know, someone nearly dies and all that sort of stuff, which didn't happen at, on our place, but it makes for good reading. So, But if it, yeah, gets, made into, if it gets made into a movie, they can say based on a true story because it's kind of, you know, <laughs> there, there, were, there yeah. were people on a sheep station somewhere. Yeah, yeah if, you want to, if you want to draw that long a bow, yeah, I guess you probably could. Yeah. Australia is a country. Yeah, that's and, it. And it did happen there. Yeah. So, yeah, and, um, yeah, they they liked it and they wanted, I think they wanted something different. There was a lot of rural romance getting out at the time and I was writing, this story is not a rural romance. So, first of all, it wasn't rural romance and it was written by a bloke. So, there were two points of difference and I think they wanted to try something different. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a fascinating process how it worked. Like, there was a lot of work to get it up to publishable level, but I think they could see that I had something to offer and they're prepared to work with it. So I'm very grateful to Alan and Unwin for giving us that first shot. And yeah, we well, shit, when the first edits came through, she was all red. It was like getting your year 10 English essay back with a great big red line through the lot. It's just, just like when I send one of my articles to Matt to be checked. So, what, what, so, so, so the first, how, how long did it take you to write the first book then in entirety? It must've taken a long time because it was a, it was almost like a dream at first. Yeah, it, did. it took a while because I was still on the farm full time, and like we were running three properties there for for a while. Um, and so yeah, it was sort of the thought of sort of thing. I'd, do, I'd get home at night and just muck about with it, or in the afternoon after work, sort of thing, and just muck about in front of the computer. Because um, I was writing the blog anyway, so it wasn't a huge jump from writing that to writing a novel. And I'd always been a bookworm, so I'd always read all sorts of books as soon as I could read, basically right up until sort of leaving school and finding more fun things to do. But um, yeah, so that helps like any like any any creative stuff, you've got to take in other people's work so you can sort of draw from that or steal ideas or whatever. Borrow. Borrow, borrow yes. Borrow, yes. Be, be inspired by pay, pay leverage from. Yeah, that's the one. Pay homage. So, so you wrote Redview Station. When mm -hmm. did that come out? 2017? Yeah, 17 it came out, yeah. Uh, I think my auntie Julie... Who, who listens to this podcast, I think she's actually got a copy of this. Oh, she's the one. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, and so she, uh, I think it was my mum actually said, I think my mum might have bought her it, but she actually said that, because we follow each other on Facebook, and she said, oh, I find that Michael's comments on posts really funny. I want to get his, <laughs> want to get his book. 
Uh, so there's a copy floating around Edinburgh somewhere at the moment. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so then Wild Dogs, yeah? Yeah, it, so... Did you learn a lot from the process of the first book and did it make it easier? Or did it make I, it... It did. So uh, it was a bit of a funny setup because what happened was just before Ridgeview came out, the lady who published me, who picked me up for Alan Unwin, she actually resigned from Alan Unwin. So I sort of lost that voice in the company. And if you haven't got that person, which I didn't realise at the time, if you haven't got that person sitting at the table pushing your work across saying, here, we need to spend money on this, we need to, you know, we need to do this, we need to kind, do that. Kind of like a sponsor, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah, it is. They're all, there's all different publishers sitting at the same, same table for the same company and they're all arguing for their authors. So once you lose that voice, you sort of, yeah, you flounder a bit, which well certainly happened to me anyway. Um, and you know, I'd I'd struggled a bit to get a second book published. So Wild Dogs is actually my well fourth manuscript, but I actually wrote a fifth one again before Wild Dogs was picked up. So I'd written a fair bit trying to get another one done. Um, and yeah, it sat on a lot of people's desks for a while. But so the fact find- that you, the fact that you've actually had some success with your first book doesn't necessarily guarantee uh, you know that they're even going to look at your second offering. So. Uh, Alan and I looked at my second offering and decided they didn't really want it. And so I went and did something else. And I didn't really want that either. So then I thought, I'm going to write something completely different. And that's where Wild Dogs came from. And then in the I got stuck halfway through it. So I thought I'd write something really different and do some Australian mythical fantasy stuff, which I actually got quite into. And I actually sent that to an agent. And she read it and she liked it, but she couldn't do anything with it, she thought. So she said, what else have you got? I said, well, I've got this other one here that's a bit crazy, but here you go, have a look, see what you think. And yeah, she finally got around to reading it and um, yeah, signed me up within two weeks. And then two weeks later, we had a contract with Penguin. So she was pretty impressed with it, I think. So, so, how, so how, like, we, we don't know anything about this offer <laughs> sort of thing. How, so how does it work? They sign you up and say, right, you, you give them a manuscript, which is like a kind of a, is like a cut down version of a book? Or? No, the, manu- the manuscript's the whole thing. So, oh, okay. when, yeah, so when you're pitching, so with Ridgeview, I pitched that to Alan and Underwood Direct. They have a weekly, well, they had a weekly, I don't know if they still do, they had a weekly thing where you just send in the email in the first chapter and a synopsis, which is a blow-by-blow yeah. blow account of what happens, gives away all the plot details, all the twists, all the turns, send that in. And if you haven't heard anything in two weeks, they didn't want it. So I sent that into them and I got the email back saying, hey, can we have a look at the rest? And sort of went on from there. But I did that by myself. So I had no one to discuss things with, no one to ask questions about except the publisher, which I wasn't sure how much you could or couldn't, like how pushy you could be with your publisher and how it all works. So I just sat back and was the good good little new author. And the second time around, I thought, no, I want someone in my corner. So I went, I spent a long time looking for an agent who would take my work. And I got close quite a few times. And Alex finally sort of read this and loved it and signed me up. So once you've got the agent, she can get the pub. That a publisher will read a manuscript from an agent before they will read a manuscript from an un- unknown or unsolicited because they know it's already been vetted by the agent. By like if, yeah, yeah. if an agent has signed you up, they obviously think they can sell this. So they're going to present, you've got a better chance of getting it read. So, and it just, you know, um, Alex gives me some great advice on the next one and how it all works and the marketing and the, I mean, when they were negotiating the contract, it was just back and back and forth, back and forth. And I had no idea what was going on. They were talking about rising royalties and this, that, and the other, and rights. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, no who, who, so is, oh, we'll go into the book in a little bit, but mm-hmm. so who's got the movie rights? Uh, we've No one yet. We've still got it. We're holding them off. So um, I think Alex is going to be doing some work to pitch them out once the book becomes a bit better known. It's only been out six weeks. So once uh, Buzz once the sales and all the buzz is there to back it, um, she can go and take it off to this whole, that's a whole different world of, um, it's the same thing. Like you pitch a manuscript to a publisher, well, then she'll pitch the rights to that manuscript to a producer. So again, I'm not entirely sure how it works, which is why I wanted an agent. Why you an agent to <laughs> Exactly. Because it's in their interest. The more, the more they sell, the more they push, the, the, the more their commission. So that's well, just, once, um, once, once you've become the, you know, you've become a published author and people know that of you, um, do you get a lot of people that come up to you like and say, oh, I'm thinking of writing a book? Like, is that is it pretty yeah. common that people want to? They have have thought, you know, that, that they could do it. Or... I could do this. Yeah. That'd be easy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, I mean, anyone anyone can have a crack. There's no, there's nothing stopping. There's plenty of resources out there. Uh, not, does, not, but you... not not if you read my grammar. <laughs> <laughs> 
just just put a lot of apostrophes in the front and just call it just call it um Glaswegian or something like that. No, no, he does it all the time. He says that this is a word back in Scotland. This is a word, this is a real word. That's how you spell it. No, um, we've been around for 8,000 years. Australia's only been around for 200, so it is a word. We invented the language. We've been around a fair bit longer than that. Um, but no, when you when you go to events and things, people do come up and say, Hey, how'd you get into it? and like. I did the same when I went to events, though. So I'm more than happy to tell people, look, you just got to, first of all, write your story, work out what you want to write, and then write it, and then get it as best as you possibly can. Find an agent or find a publisher who publishes that sort of stuff that you've written, and then look at their guidelines of what they're asking for on submissions and follow them to the letter, because that is a test. Like, if you can't follow a simple email saying 12-point double-space this size margin, this size format, this is the style we want, this is the type of story. If you can't follow that, they sort of go, well, he's going to, he's going to be pretty hard to edit with because that's even more complicated. So that's that's sort of a rule of thumb is follow the instructions. But, yeah, there's there's many, many ways to try and pitch and get published. So so um, I'm, I'm going to admit it. I've, I've got a copy of the book here in my hand. Purchased it. Didn't steal Lovely. it. Lovely. But all my even own better. money. Uh, I haven't read it yet. Uh, I've got the download on Audible, uh, yep. so there's there's a pitch to uh, yeah, if, no, if, if, if Audible's listening, you you can pay as a royalty. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that counts as advertising. Advertising, yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to listening to it uh, because it kind of reading the back of it. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the film The Dry. Yeah, see, I haven't seen The Dry, but I read the book. And I actually, funnily enough, I'd started writing this book and the first scene is talking about how dry and the drought, well, it's not really a drought, but it's just a dry season going on. And I'd started writing that with this idea of where the story is going to go. And we were in the airport back when we could be. Um, and I picked up the dry off the thing. I read the first page and I went, nope, oh, closed it again. I closed oh, it because oh, I'm like, no. oh, I'm, not reading, I'm not reading this because that setting is exactly what I'm sort of doing. So I try and avoid reading stuff similar to what I'm writing because, and, and actually try and avoid listening to audiobooks while I'm writing because I'm a bugger for picking up other people's voice. Like I'll start almost writing in that style because I can hear that voice. Because I've been if I've been listening to a book all day, then I'll come home at night and start writing. I'll start writing in that tone. Yeah. And I think I think it just comes from a musical background. Like you can hear music and you can hear how things go together. And it's the same with an audio. You can hear the pace and the tone and the intonation and I'll start writing like that. So that a, bit, like a, bit, a, a bit like a narrating in Matt Freeman's voice. Morgan Freeman's yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You can start you can write like that because when I do dialogue, I actually do it sounds crazy, but I do hear the voices in my head. So. Oh, the people speaking, yeah. Well, yeah, well when, you, when, you're, when, you're, when you're reading a book, I, I I always really get into a book if I'm reading a book, mm -hmm. and I yeah. feel like you sort of immerse yourself in it and you hear the accents. You yeah. imagine, a really good book will immerse you, yeah. so you imagine the characters. But um, here, just, here, before you, just before, before, before you move on. On the dry. No, that, just, sounds like a, that sounds like a scene when you're saying in the airport, right? Yeah. Have, you seen the, have you seen the movie Throw Mama from the Train, Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito? Yeah. Oh, oh, a, a long time ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That because they Billy Chris is an author that he thinks keeps thinking he's having his his work stolen from oh, his okay. ex, his ex wife <laughs> or something. And yeah. then he and that just reminded me of that when you you've got an idea for a book and you yeah you're reading one and it sounds like it's what you were just about to pitch or something. So, yeah. so you should, well, well, here, should here, see it again. Here's a segue and a, and a little of a Hoiberg tangent. Two, two two tangents to do with films. I bumped into Danny DeVito in Philadelphia whilst he was shooting It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the, uh, did you, the, the sitcom. Um, did, you, did you nearly a, step out? Did you nearly he's, a lot, he's a lot shorter than you would think. Like, you know, they must, TV must make people a foot taller because he is seriously short. I think that's how they got Tom Cruise to play Jack Reacher, wasn't it? They got the shortest bloke in Hollywood to play the biggest man in literature or something. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the new, the new, the new. Yeah, now, we're, we're, now, actually, we're gonna, now we're going to get sued by Tom Cruise. Thanks for that, Michael. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, the other interesting thing is uh, we we've got a connection to the dry on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we had a uh, a guest on the podcast last year. One of the stars. One of the stars of the film. Mm. Eric? He, Ryan Melgate was was in the uh, the film The Dry. Ah. He was in a scene where there's a, a, a pub brawl, <laughs> and he, he's very much typecast, and he's uh, basically just 
what's the word when you act as yourself? In a Playing film? himself. Yeah. Playing himself, basically, <laughs> uh, because he steps back and holds his beard to protect it from falling o- over, <laughs> which I reckon is probably fits Ryan Melgate to a T. Natural instinct, that one, isn't it? Just, just that, and going to the the Bridgewater Bakery. <laughs> so, so give us give us a, a rough synopsis of what the film's about. Eh, film, book. well, with a film starring <laughs> Sam Neill as. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, I'll be able to say something like that with any luck. Um, so, yeah, so Wild Dogs, uh, I wanted to write something sort of like what Will Smith would have come up with if he was Australian because I read a lot of those books. So, um, Will Smith. Will, Will Smith. The Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, Will Smith, yeah, that's the one. Shooting some b-ball outside of the Free Springs School. Bakery. Come on, everyone knows those lyrics. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I was, I was Wild... trying to Australianise them. <laughs> So, yeah, Wild Dogs, it's about an old dog trapper called Gabe and he's done with the world. He's just out doing his own thing. He lost his wife a few years ago. He's still grieving over her and blaming himself and just wants to be left alone. He's one of those old bushies that we all know who just don't give a shit anymore and they're just out doing the thing and they're very good at what they do. Um, and he's a little bit dodgy, doing a few things on the side and while he's setting a trap out in the scrub, he hears a commotion and goes and investigates. And it turns out he ends up rescuing an Afghan refugee who's about to be shot by people smugglers. So the premise is that the people smugglers are now bringing refugees straight to the mainland because if they get picked up off Christmas Island, they're turned around or sent straight back home again. And you actually have to make the mainland now to have any sort of a claim. So that was the idea behind that whole premise. So the people smugglers, after the trying to get rid of the refugee because he was creating problems for them, and between that and Gabe's dodgy activities, uh, they decide not to involve the cops and set off to find Amin, who was a refugee, they set off to find his family, all while being hunted down by these smugglers and uh, the enforcer, who is a roo shooter called Chase. So, yeah, that's about it. Just basically high tolerant through the scrub with a madman on there. On their tail, and um, Gabe has to use all his skills and wits as a dog trapper to try and get himself out of trouble. So on, on a, so they're chased by a madman through the bush, yeah? Yep. So on a scale of madman, how close <laughs> is a madman to old mate from Wolf Creek? Old mate, from, actually, <laughs> Gabe's probably closer to him in appearance. There's actually a reference to that in the book. He probably already looks like the fellow from Wolf Creek and doesn't want to go scaring the tourists too much. But no, it's just, uh, it's more of a, I'm trying to think of a bad guy who, he's just a cunning fellow. Like, so the, between the dog trapper Gabe and the roo shooter Chase, they both know the bush like the back of their hand. So they're both trying to outsmart each other, little tips and tricks and um, little devious methods. And it's just a matter of cat and mouse and who can outsmart who the, the quickest. So what, what made you, what made you sort of, what gives you the inspiration then? Like, I'm, I'm curious about, like I'm always curious about things. Like I'm, I'm not into. I'm into music to listen to, mm-hmm. but I can't play an instrument. Mm-hmm. And so it always fascinates me. Well, how do people have the idea to string this bit of chord with that chord? And it's the same with a movie or a book. Like how does somebody think? Right. Where do you st- like what? Yeah. What this one? How, how do you get page one? Things. Okay, so page one was setting the scene of the dog trapper being very very meticulous and going, you know, if anyone knows, anyone who's ever set a dog trap knows you've got to get it right, otherwise the dog's not interested. So that was just setting him up as a as a very meticulous, careful sort of a fellow who knows his stuff. But the idea, this whole sort of idea came from lots of different places. Um, the main one was I wanted to I wanted to explore what happens when an old bushy who's been out the scrub his entire life is suddenly paired with, say, like a young Muslim man and just yeah. had the two conflicts, the two completely different cultures just clashing in a high-stress situation. And Because I can imagine what a few blokes would say and I can imagine the retorts and just sort of... But at the same time, I can imagine fellas sort of just coming around a bit and going, oh, you're not all, you're not all nutters, you know, like you're not all terrorists who are going to blow yourselves up sort of thing. Um, but one of the main inspirations came from when I was working at Boat Builder years ago. I was just there as a trainee draftsman and this cray fisherman pulls up in his big F-250 and started, you know, he's here buying a half a million dollar boat or whatever it was, and he started complaining about it. He wasn't making any money. And here's me off a farm in my busted-ass Hilux, parked out the front, sort of. I didn't have a lot of sympathy for the poor fellow, but he, he actually said something that stuck with me ever since. He said, uh, bugger these crayfish. I shouldn't be, I should, what I should be doing is going out and picking up all these boat people coming in. I just remember thinking, well, yeah, your boat's set up perfectly for it. Like, <laughs> you, you probably could. You, you could. You've got this huge big deck space, all this accommodation you can go out for seven days you've got a 200 nautical mile nautical mile range like yeah you probably could so anyway that just stuck in my brain and then 
in 2013 when there was a boat from Sri Lanka, a fishing boat, made it all the way from Sri Lanka into oh, the, Gel- the Geraldton Port- foreshore, just wheeled up at the Dome Cafe and basically wanted directions to New Zealand and nobody spotted them except for a couple of fishermen putting a tinny in first thing in the morning. And I remember, I remember thinking, that. I remember thinking, well, how the hell do they get past Border Force or the Coast Guard or whatever the hell it was called back then? <laughs> like, I thought they had radar and shit. And, yeah, so that stuck in the back of my mind. And then there was, um, oh, there was a heap of raids up and down the coast with the um, backpackers working without a visa. And it was all organized. There was an organized crime syndicate. And uh, everything just sort of came together. And there was a big drug so, bust. So, so it's a whole bunch of ideas. And it's it just a melts. whole bunch of ideas, yeah, in that particular case. Yeah, so, I needed... so, so do you start, like, it's interesting. I, I spoke to university lecturer about research. So completely mm-hmm. different sort of thing, and they always said start with the ending, write the uh, mm-hmm. write the summary of what it's going to be, and then do the research. Yeah, you might have to yeah. change the start, but if you know roughly what you're doing, so do you yeah. start with the ending or do it you have varies, no idea? It, no, it varies from manuscript to manuscript. So <clears throat> with Ridgeview, I had a few scenes that I wanted I wanted in there, like I wanted something happening with the dogs, I wanted something happening with the bushfire, I wanted a bit of clash between backpackers, like a pretty young backpacker turns up and all the guys start falling off their bikes because they're too busy watching her and not where they're going. Um, and the same with Wild Dogs. I knew how it was going to end. Well, I thought I did, but we ended up changing it a little bit in the end. But I knew how it was going to end. It was always going to be sort of a redemption arc for the main character. And I knew I wanted a clash between Amin and Gabe. And I knew I wanted Gabe doing something dodgy so that he couldn't call in the cops. And then it all just came together. And it's like, so he's, he's as very early on, we're learning that he's running grog into a dry community. And the reason I put that in there was because that was a, that was purely a plot device to say, well, why wouldn't you just go and get the cops? Because the only reason he was where he was, because he was trapping in a part of the land he shouldn't be. And he, he was the only reason he was there is because he's running grog. So it's kind, it's kind it's kind of like it's it's one of those ones where it's not he's dodgy. Yeah. But he's not dodgy enough that you say right he's selling crystal meth. Exactly. He, and then you've got no sympathy for them. You know. And like I was really hesitant about using the the dry grog thing because straight away that's perpetuating stereotypes and stuff. So we did a lot of work with sensitivity readers and re- oh, that was one of the things I had to research about you know communities who bring in the restrictions on their own and it's not forced upon them um, by government and stuff. So that's one aspect. The other stuff I had to research a lot was. Um, Islam, a lot of prayer mm. times, practices, and the same thing. I've got a friend up down here, um, and she went. She read it through for us and gave me a lot of really good little things. Like I'd missed, I'd missed the washing of the hands before you pray. I just missed that in the script. And she said, "Well, if he would wash his hands first. Oh, that's easy. I've already actually got a scene where they're washing hands, so it actually worked out quite well." Because that's because that's I remember speaking to an author once who was writing a book on and it had a Scottish character. Mm. And I remember, I can't remember what she wrote, but she wrote something. It was supposed to be a scene in a, and she was asking for advice. Yeah. She said, I've got this scene where a person walks into a pub and I can't remember what it was. And I remember reading it thinking, geez, oh, nobody in any pub in Scotland would say that. It's like, yeah. it was like that shortbread tin type of thing. Yeah. Like you walk into a pub and everyone's wearing kilts. Well, no, yeah. you walk into a pub in Scotland, everyone's wearing tracksuits. Yeah. And, and, and they wouldn't and say cro- and they would, and Crocs and Crocs. And Crocs. <laughs> and, and they wouldn't, and I just remember saying to her, look, no, they would say something more like this. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing. So you're trying to get more offended because you don't know everything. No, of course you and, can't. And, and the interesting one is like, so it's got two characters who are quite different, you know, the traditional mm-hmm country australian yeah and an afghan muslim do you have do you, one of the my favorite films that i've watched in the last two years actually was a book called the green mile no yeah. it wasn't called the green mile that's uh, green that's david king that's, that's stephen king, king. That it was called the green book the green book Oop. i don't think i read that one it was it's um it's a the green book this is another toy big tangent here but the green book was a book or like an RACV book of bed and breakfasts and hotels mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the US. But it was a book of places that allowed black people to go to them. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, and, yes. Yeah, I know the movie. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember. The, the, one, the main character was Viggo Mortensen, who yeah. I, I'm a big fan of after Eastern Promises film. But it was an American-Italian racist yeah. Yeah. and a very, very cultured uh, african-american yeah, classical musician yeah. and it was just it was it, it was those scenes of just pure humor yeah 
just from the situation. Yeah. You know, it's not. It wasn't funny necessarily. Not. It's not slapstick, Mister Bean sort of humor. Yeah. It's just the situation is. Yeah. Just and so, that, so out of the world. That's exactly the sort of setup. So I was trying to put together as a you know, apart from the main story about saving Amin's family and you know Gabe's redemption and all that sort of stuff. But um, that was the sort of thing I was. You know, so Gabe, they're about to set off somewhere in a big hurry, and Amin's like, "Well, hang on, just give me five minutes. I've got to go. I've got to do my prayers." And Gabe's like, oh, for fuck's sake, what bloody hell. Like, and just that, and towards the end, yeah, so, and then the end, the whole thing gets, they all become good mates and everything like that. So, um, yeah, it's exactly that sort of reluctant cop buddy movie, you know, like the, the Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, oh, that yeah. sort of, you know, that I really don't want to be hanging Classic. around with you, but we've got no, we've got no other choice, so we're just going to have to get by and, yeah. Bit, bit like us with this podcast that we yeah yeah well, I wouldn't want to, you, yeah. you don't want to assume but you know <laughs> yeah one of the things I was going to ask you with regards like as so you have you know as you're going through writing the book though and the and the characters are developing as you're going do they do they you mentioned it before about the voices in your head yeah. do the characters actually start kind of you know do they develop in your head to the stage that they're actually giving you kind of almost ideas about where you're going or is it all pretty much structured before you go through no, do you know what i mean not per- not me not personally like i don't have a structure like i'm not what you call a plotter like there's plotters and pantsers so some people have a whole plan whole thing planned out first well you know pretty good plan and then they'll start writing and then people like me have a rough idea and i'll just start writing and see where the hell it goes and quite often they'll get they're not sure how to get to the point they want to get to or they don't know where they're going and the story just sort of follows a logical path sometimes. That's certainly how I found Wild Dogs. I wasn't sure where they were going to end up or how it was going to resolve and I actually ended up writing the second half of the book, completely rewriting it because it was just getting too unwieldy and it was just annoying me. So I actually stopped writing, went to start working on something else and in the meantime went for a drive up through Mount Augustus and Gascoigne and all that um, and had a good old look around and got a bit bit more of a feel for the place because I'd never actually been to Gascoigne Junction when I was writing a book, but it certainly helped calling in and I was able to make it a bit more, you know, describe the new pub and the old pub that got washed away and just working little things like that so people who know the area can go, I'm pretty sure they'll be able to say, well, he's definitely at least driven through the place because I find it hard to write. I couldn't write a story about New York. Like I just I don't know how people have never been there do it because yes you can see it on tv and yes you can read about it but i just don't know how you get the feel no, of the no. place like like and that's that's something that i do get a lot of praise for is being able to describe the landscape out there and the feel of it because i have been out there a fair bit and i know what it feels like when it's 48 degrees and you're trying to fix a bloody windmill or you know there's this big storm building up and it just the air just feels like a wet blanket and then all of a sudden it rains and the thing drops by 15 degrees it's so like it's, 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 it's the authenticity and that, that was that was yeah. that was my next sort of question was going going back to like you've got a book here on on crime in mm-hmm. rural Australia, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And is that going to be? I don't know, like a lot of offers stick to a similar sort of theme, a similar sort of thing. Does it? Does it? I haven't read the ending, so I don't want to. Don't it be spoiled? Does Does Gabe come back for a, a second uh, sort of thing? So he's got to survive the first one first. Uh, <laughs> but but is it what what is your plan? I guess do you yes. do you want to do you want to stick to a similar sort of thing? Because I know you're a geek like me as yeah. well. <laughs> no, yeah. um, so when I signed up with Penguin, one of the reasons I went with Penguin because there was a couple of offers on the table was that Bev, the publisher, she said, "Look, I take on very few new authors, and I do specialise in the crime thriller um, genre. And you've written a pretty good one. So if you want to develop that side of your writing." We, you know, we can absolutely work together and hopefully get a few books out there. And they'd signed me up for a two-book deal. So they, in addition to the Wild Dogs manuscript, they offered a, a second manuscript to buy a second manuscript, which sight unseen, unwritten, unplanned, unexpected. So that was a bit, oh, shit, right. I've got to back this up very quickly because Wild Dogs took, took about three years to get to the point where it was picked up. And so now I've got a deadline to write another one very shortly. Is that going to be called um, Crazy Cats or? Crazy Bitches, I think I've decided. With them, mate. Yeah, that's the same. <laughs> Yeah, Wild Dogs, Crazy Bitches, yeah. Um, but actually, actually, funny enough, that title would work really, really well with what I'm, what I'm writing at the moment. 
but I don't think we'll go with that. We'll probably come up with something else. Make, makes it makes it hard to sell in Big W, though. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so, um, so in the in the short, yeah, for for the next foreseeable future, we'll be writing the same sort of thing because, as I said to Bev, well, I didn't actually plan on writing a crime, rule, thriller, suspense thing. I just wrote a story where you keep asking yourself what happens next yes. like you want to keep turning the page that's the whole idea like what what, what happens after oh, bloody hell I'll just read one more chapter and you get to the end of the chapter and you go, oh, fuck what happened like you got to keep you got to keep going which i've been told a few times in the last few weeks that yeah i've definitely managed to do that so i said to bev well if i managed to do that without really trying well hopefully between the two of us we can actually come up with something a bit better the second time around so i'm what do i do i'm up to yeah i'm nearly i've got about a 30,000 words to go on the first draft of the second book, which we get, we're slugging away, we are plugging away slowly. So, could you, could you, because you've got to like, so, so you're right, what is it, 90,000 words is your manuscript, give or take? More or less, yeah, I think 90, 95. So, that, how long does that take you roughly? A year? Well, yeah, so, well, well, because I wasn't working on it, it was only when I felt like it, because I, I was just writing for the enjoyment back then. I didn't have a contract. I didn't have a publisher waiting for anything. So I was just writing when I felt like it and how I felt like it. So it took, I think it took 12 months to do the first draft, but I'd also been writing other stuff in between as well as working but, on. But, but, this, but this new book that you've got there. This, this new book. See, I started, I think I signed up, I think I signed up October last year. I, I knocked together about 10,000 words during harvest. And then we were working on edits and stuff for Wild Dogs. And then in January, I sat down and said, right, we got to get this book done in record time. So what are we now? Halfway through March, I'm up to 70,000 now. So, yeah. And that's, we're doing other stuff as well. And there was a lot of February, most of February was spent doing like podcasts and interviews and driving around, meeting and greeting, which was great. I love that. It was great fun. But so, yeah, I'm aiming, I aim for about 10,000 words a week, which is which is doable if you've got the time. And I'm lucky that we're deep ripping at the moment, so the tractor's going fairly slow, and I've got a laptop in there, and I'll just... You're doing it in the tractor? Yeah, yeah. Doing the tractor a fair bit. When I can, like seeding's usually fine. Obviously, don't do it during harvest because you try not to bend the expensive but, piece of machinery. So, But in, when, you, when you're seeding, when you're harvesting, when you're doing anything in the tractor, like I'm, I'm, when I'm driving, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't work in the farm, so to speak. But when I'm driving long distance, like say we, oh, we've got a farm that's probably two, two and a bit hours drive from us, mm-hmm. and I tend to find most of my sort of, what's the word, ideation comes from two, two, two places. I quite often say to Matt, I was thinking in the shower this morning yeah. about about you and what we could do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so there's two, uh, there's two places. That's an image, isn't it? That's a, yep. yeah. But there's two places I tend to think a lot is in a car. I've got mm-hmm. time on my own. I've got no distractions and in the shower or, yeah. or in the bath. And, but the tractor must be, a, or, or any type of implant when you're, when you're there for eight hours of a day, 12 hours yeah. of a day, maybe not necessarily just the rising, but just the ideation and the, yeah, the think, absolutely. thinking absolutely. of plot most devices. Of, most of harvest was spent thinking about how the hell am I going to come up with something for this next one and that's sort of where most of the ideas came from and i actually had a little notebook in there i go maybe this could happen just write a little name or a one one line thing while i was waiting for a chaser bean or something well, um, I, I can just imagine your header yeah everyone else has got you know a whiteboard marker with you know yeah x, yeah, x number yeah, of things yeah. and yours moisture, plot, and, screens moisture and, and screens and yours is plot devices for yeah, the, whole, the, whole, the windshield no. No, but actually the best thing I find about it is the fact that I can just listen, just devour audiobooks because, as I said before, as a creative, you've got to take in other people's work um, no matter what you're doing. Like if you're an artist, you've got to go see what other sculptures are doing. If you're a painter, you need to be seeing what other people are doing. And the same as writing, you need to be taking in those stories because you can, like most, a lot of the inspiration, which this is going to sound really weird, but the most, a lot of the inspiration for Wild Dogs about how it's structured and, um, things like that actually came from the witches books, the Polish fantasy series, because the way that guy writes. So the scene in the wild dogs, there's three scenes in wild dogs from the point of view, from a dingo looking down, watching everything unfold. And it has nothing to do with the story. Like you could remove those three scenes and the story does not change, but they're a nice little break and there's just something different. And it's, that's the sort of thing that this Polish author, Andrzej Sikorski does quite a lot. There'll be, a really nice break in the story and you find out oh the old fella telling the story is actually the young guy in the scene that you're reading now and you, then at the end it sort of reveals that sort of and it's just 
the way he jumps around time and points of view and you'll have a big action scene and then it'll skip back a few hours to see how all that was folded oh, out. Folded, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's I, I used a lot of those techniques. So, And to say I've just written an Australian crime outback thriller, which I got a lot of ideas from a Polish fantasy series, sort of doesn't make sense until you sort of realise that the, the techniques we all use are still the same. Even though the story might be, it's not. It's not necessarily storyline. It's the storytelling. Yes, the story. That's it. The storytelling, less not so much the story. But no, the um, the tractors and boom sprays are quite handy for plotting and. And that's the interesting thing. Like Australia, if you think about it from a point of view of the rest of the world, yeah, Mm. and even in in Australia, Australia is still the uncharted sort of. It's still it's still got that appeal of being. It's got that mythology around it, yeah. And even even, though, even us it, going going to South Australia yesterday, uh, last week, sorry. You know, some pretty bits that we went through there that was relatively remote. Yeah. And and you and it wasn't that remote really, but you could see, like, you, you could just imagine it. You could you could picture the scene of. Well, we anything. were when we were out at Gabby. Well, when Gabion is no further from Geraldton than what our Three Springs properties were. Um, when we lived in Three Springs. So the actual distance between Three Springs and Geraldton to Three Springs and Gabion is about the same. But the landscape is just... It's, like, you could you go out there and you could be the only person within miles as far as you know. Like, you, you'd be walking along and you, <laughs> you used to be walking along and think, oh, I reckon I'm the first person to tread on this bit of dirt in a long time. You look up and there's a bike tire hanging off a tree. Oh, that's what I was going to say. There's a kind of Pepsi. There's, there's an empty beer can or something floating around or... A, smash bottle or 22 bullet or whatever so oh, clearly not as isolated as i thought and that's actually i make that point in the book gabe actually says that it's not as isolated here as you think like if we don't clean this up someone's going to find it pretty quickly so and it's an audiobook as well yes so so all three it, all three ebook paperback and audiobook at the same time which is awesome and what's the uh What's the process of getting somebody to be the audiobook writer? Yeah, that was uh, that narrator. Was, sorry. Yeah, that was great because um, so the the contract was all was for an audiobook as well as simultaneous release, which is great because I that's one thing I, I was actually more excited about the audiobook to be honest because I just love audiobooks. So during harvest, I got an email from the penguins because they do it all in house. So they from the penguin audiobook producer. And she said, "I've got I've got some auditions here for you to listen to." So I got a file. I got three separate files of three separate narrators reading one of the chapters where Gabe and I mean first meet. So I was in the header all day for two or three days, actually just listening to these three files over and over again, trying to figure out which narrator I thought would fit the story best. And it was a toss up between two of them. And we ended up going with Rick Herbert, who's an Australian actor. Um, I think he's been in prisoner and underbelly and King Kong as well. I think he had a small part in that. But when, when you were listening to them, were you just thinking, Nah, that's not how Gabe sounds. <laughs> yeah, one, one, yeah, one, one guy we did straight away. He, he was he had a very um, movie trailer sort of over dramatic reading style, which just oh, nah straight away. But the other two, because Rick was really good with the voice acting, and the other fellow was he had a really intense reading style, which I thought would suit the story really, really well. But we ended up going Rick because I mean I, lo- I love a good voice actor, um, and Rick certainly got Amin's accent and voice. Perfect, and, that, as well that, as Rick. Because the, vo- the voice, the voice matches the way you imagine the character. Yeah, yeah, I actually told. Head. Yeah, I did because I because I listened to it. I think I listened to it about two or three times actually because it's actually being really helpful. To, I'll listen to it during the day, and then I'll go back and keep working on this next manuscript, and I can hear some because there's going to be some of the characters returning in the next manuscript. I'm not going to say who because that'll be a spoiler, but I can. It's it's just been really handy to keep that, um, keep the voice going through and being able to keep it going through into the next book without it changing. Cause like I say, I wrote this, I wrote that first draft about three years ago. So, you know, my style's changed a little bit too. So um, trying to keep that continuation has been very helpful. Cause that was one bit, of the- I was a bit disappointed that I didn't get sort of chosen. Uh, well, and maybe, I, I, maybe maybe when the rights are sold into Scotland. Or well, that's what like I was thinking. We could, we could do this just now. Yeah. I've just, I just picked a page at random. <laughs> Go on. So I think I might do just this is a bit of a, what do you call it, an audition? Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> Park Cutting down or do we do it in 
English or Scottish? Cutting edge, cutting edge uh, podcasting. Cutting edge podcasting. It's my, Scottish. It's, hard, it's, really, Scottish. it's really hard, actually. I actually find it really hard to do a Scottish accent now. He can't. He can't. <laughs> Sounds like Mrs. Doubtfire. Pardon yeah. wind, where you can see the top of that ridge, he instructed, grabbing the binoculars as he climbed out of the vehicle. I raised one arm, shit's about to go down. If I didn't, shit might still go down, but I'm not expecting it. Either way, stay ready, pal. That's right. We gotta do that. I'll I'll turn the email off as soon as we're done. I don't know right. if I I don't know if I could do the whole book though, because <laughs> that was that was a bit of a struggle. Yeah. So That's so great. so so when it comes out in Scotland, we will. We'll do. do you know? Speaking of, you mentioned Rick was an underbelly, yeah? Yeah. So underbelly was two countries that was really popular: Australia. And Scotland. And Scotland. So <laughs> STV, the Scottish television company, mm-hmm. got the rights to it. And what they did was, you know how there was a, a lady narrator, Australian? Uh, I can't remember her name. I've watched it for ages. But, but, yeah. but she was a narrator and she would introduce the episodes and she would talk through it and stuff. They replaced that with one of the actors from Taggart, which is another oh, yeah, TV yeah. show. So it was introduced as, I... In Australia, down under, they've also got crime, <laughs> but not as hard as ours. <laughs> That'd be right. So, so this is, I guess, this is the thing. So, when you, so you get inspiration from everywhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I've got, I've got an idea, and I'm going to pitch this idea, yeah, for right, for, on, for a story. Let me, let me get a pencil. So don't steal it. We'll sign NDAs. All right, it's about a wizard, right? A boy, right? <laughs> Does he know he's a wizard or do he has to get a letter first? He's, he's an orphan. Uh. And he falls over a train track or something. <laughs> and then he goes to a school of witches and wizards. I think you're onto something. I reckon so. I reckon you're onto something. Absolutely. Yeah, you, could make it, you could make it Scottish. You could make it Australian. You could call it something. I don't know. I can't good day, wizards. <laughs> <laughs> so... So we're going to get a new book soon. Uh, yeah, I haven't got a year, a year and a half. Yeah, probably. It's usually about a 12, 12 to eighteen month cycle. I think. I'm not sure. I've got. We're working on June to get for me to get the dead uh, manuscript to the publisher. So I'm assuming June thirty, not June first. Yep. Um, I'm not sure what they're assuming, but <laughs> it's it is a bit flexible. But I said no, no. I, I I'm one of those people that works better with a deadline. Otherwise, I'll be sort of just finding other stuff to do and then suddenly oh shit I've got to write a book so I thought why don't we just skip to the oh shit I've got to write a book bit straight away the, the, so, the deadline yeah. the deadline's March yeah so yeah yeah it's the fake do, 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 you know, do you know what they call that Patterson's Law Patterson's Law so Patterson's Law is if you have a, a, a an area mm-hmm. and you put a gas in it mm-hmm. that gas will expand till it fills up the space yeah so it also applies if you have a time limit of six yeah. months, you will use that time limit of exactly six months. You won't do mm-hmm. it any quicker. Yeah. But you will use the entire period. I I I I'm exactly the same as you. I try and avoid that by forgetting what the actual time limit is and just saying let's it's, start let's it now. Let's do it. Yeah, like so I mean yesterday I wrote four thousand words and normally I do about two, but um I'd missed a bit on Saturday because we drove up also, we drove but, down but to Perth. Had, but you had four cans of Red Bull and you were... Absolutely. <laughs> and I also had a fair bit of the red grape writer juice and just smashed it out. And that was great because, I, like I said, I like to do 10,000 words, try and get 10,000 words a week. And I was a bit short the weekend before, so I thought I'll make it up this week. <clears> so suddenly I went from 58 to 70,000 words in the space of a week, which is good when that happens because it doesn't always happen like that. So... I was on a roll, so I'll keep going. Then I then I always wanted to get to sixty nine thousand, just so I could take a photo and put it up on Twitter and say nice, you know, just. And I'll yeah. go, I'm nearly at seventy, and I'll keep going. So yeah. So what's yeah, the? Uh, and and so then there'll be editing. There'll probably be yeah, six, so, six months of editing. Uh, it's depends on how good the first manuscript I hand in, because it's when I say I'll finish the manuscript, the first draft, that's purely just slapping words down, and then you go back and you make it all make sense like i've already got like i've already written scenes that i know would be better if they happened earlier or maybe bring another scene later or stretch things out or build some suspense earlier on because i didn't because that's the trouble when you don't really have a plan you sort of it comes to you as you're writing so it ends up being a lot of rewriting um which is fine like the the there's so many ways of describing i think 
or one of my mates told me, he says, it's just first draft, you're just shoveling sand into a big pile to make the sandcastle. And then the second draft is you start whacking buckets down to, you know, get your things and then you start mucking about and putting little doors and windows in. That's like your third and fourth draft. So, yeah, it's a, it's it's an ongoing process too. Like the more you read it, the more you'll find mistakes. Like I said, I've I've listened to the audiobook a couple of times now and I've already picked up about three or four things I'd, I would change in a heartbeat if that option was available. But they're, they're never really finished. They're, they're, they're happy. They're as good as you can get them. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, but you reckon as... Like being an author is, is obviously going to be the thing for you now, yeah? Yeah, that's something I'll keep doing. Yeah. Keep doing. So do so you think over time, you know, obviously the first book took a long time to make because, let's be honest, we had, you had no idea what you're doing, the same as, yep. same as a lot of people. Yep. Second book, a little bit quicker. Yeah. And then third book, fourth book will be easier and easier to write because you've got, uh, you got, you got kind of the style ready. You've got the... the yeah, the, well, now, the that I've, now that I've got the incentive and the possibility of actually being able to make this a, a full-time thing i'm like i'm already thinking about the next manuscript as i'm writing this one um and then with vague ideas of possibly a fourth one yeah there's always ideas floating around but now i'll actually maybe grab hold of those ideas and sort of start focusing on them a bit more but at so, the so moment you can't you're kind of running two notebooks at the same time notebook yeah which is generally one. what which is generally what happens like quite often a lot of writers they'll be promoting the book that's just come out or about to come out or they'll be and then they'll be writing the second one. And, quite, you know, if they're really organised, they can promote the one that come out, editing the one that's due to come out, and then writing or working on the, the one, three books in advance, which takes some, especially sure. if they're different characters, if they're completely different books, like that's a lot of people to have run around your head that you've got to remember. Because if you, I've, heard, I've had people say, and I'm talking about so-and-so, so I'm talking about wild dogs. Or if the example would be I'm talking about Ridgeview Station trying to promote that when it came out while I'm editing Wild Dogs and someone asks me a question about something that happens in Ritchie, I've got to think, oh, shit, no, that's right. I've got to go back and think. Because I know, uh, especially and especially with people who've got a lot of books out, they get asked questions about their first book, you know, which they'd finished writing 10 years ago. And it's like, which is lovely, but at the same time, you've got to troll back through their memories and go, who was that again? Like, <laughs> And um, having, the, having the book, Andrew's book idea, listening to your description, Andrew, of your idea with the wizard book, I've, I'm surprised that you haven't already written one with that kind of original thinking. Yeah. But I'm just I'm just thinking um, there could be like one of your fourth or your fifth one, Michael, could be a bit more of a suspense type drama about maybe say two analysts that are trying to yeah. in- increase the demand for black pudding and Crocs within Australia. Yeah. Kind of like a real life real life yeah. suspense drama where, where oh, they'll man. make it. Like they go out to talk to some farmer who turns out he's growing crack in his shed and they walk into it and next thing you know, they've got to stay there and help him bag it up. Oh, I was just going to say, and next next minute they're in business with him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I was talking about cash crops, this isn't what I meant. That sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, no, I think I think it's like I just I just really find it interesting this sort of the whole process because you sort hmm. of like I've got a bookshelf that's just brimming with books that I'll get round to it at some point, mm-hmm. and uh, I sort of think, well, how do they think of what to write? How do they how to get that? And I look at some offers and I see some offers, and you're like, they seem to be releasing a book every yeah every second week. I'm like, well, geez, so like how how does that work? And you know. It's, it's an interesting sort of sort of challenge. It's yeah. an interesting. I mean, sort of, I mean it depends too, like what you're writing. Like a lot of styles of books, they have a they have a set sort of process. So like a crime, you'll you'll see the body, you'll be introduced to the cop. There'll be some red herring person that it's obviously them, and while in the meantime, there'll be someone else in the background who's just minding their own business, and it turns out it's them, or you know they had a play. But yeah, I mean, I, anyone who can put out a book every twelve months, I've, I think that's amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yes, it's it's not much fun trying to write it. But you're sitting there at the screen and just nothing's coming to you. And think, I've got to get, I've got to, I've got to get something down. You, you start writing stuff, knowing full well, you're probably going to delete ninety percent of it. But you're hoping that in that thousand words you've done that day, there'll be a couple of hundred that you can use somewhere, even if you've got to shift them back to a different because because completely different. But like we obviously write a lot of analysis pieces on mm. markets, and I don't know how many times you do that, Matt. But chop and change paragraphs and say, oh fuck, that was nonsense. That, that was a lot of crap and then so i just deleted uh, it. daily daily, I daily. <laughs> and, 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 and from, from, from our point of view we're the opposite we're trying to like sort of i'll, I'll look at someone and say oh, i've written 500 words well actually can i get rid of that and turn it into yeah. 250 words so yeah, i don't have to well, waste people's time and we see we're the same too like 
90% of my first draft is purely dialogue, like just because that's what comes to me easiest. And then I can go back and delete all the bits that aren't needed. But then while I'm doing that, I'll add in a bit of description and action and well, you know, set the scene sort of thing. But initially, it's usually just people talking or going somewhere to do something. And you can put in all the nice frilly bits in the second and third draft. Beginning, the middle, and the end. That's the one. That's the tricky part. So, Working out the end. That's the so, tricky one. So crime films and then eventually some sort of Australian rural science fiction. Yes, that'd be yeah. No, I'd love to do something with Australian fantasy because people think Australia's made up anyway. They seem to think we've got all these monsters and whatever over here. Well, if you ask somebody in, in America, Australia's where Lord of the Rings was, was it not? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. East Australia. Yeah. A book about a book about the famous drop bear. Exactly. Drop Bear, Bunyips, you know, you got Ned Kelly, you got everything. You got Waltzing Matilda, the Ghost by the Billabong. There's, there's heaps there to work with. The Babadook. The Babadook. <laughs> Min Min Lights, all sorts of things. Well, I found, like, I found it really interesting. I'm looking forward to the movie coming out as well. Me too. Uh, because um, are you going to do like a, a what do you call it, an M. Night Shyamalan thing? And, <laughs> Just put, put an appearance in. Put yeah. an appearance in. <laughs> I don't think so. You could, you could be a bus driver or something. And I gave a I gave a good recommendation during this film uh, for the Green Book. The I'm Green give book an, and, another, the, and the Green Mile. And the Green That's Mile. Maybe too. Uh, but I've given another recommendation of films not to watch at the end here. It was actually M. Night Shy. Well, I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> Night. Uh, his new film, Old. Oh, okay. Which I watched on the weekend. And it's about... Uh, science fiction film with people on a beach and they grow old really quickly oh I did see, yeah I did see so, so they, they, and when i watched the film i was like this is one of those immersion films because i feel i'm getting older watching this <laughs> it's like one of those 3d films it was terrible it was i love science fiction but and it was just when you know the plot line at the start and you think why am i why am i watching this because i know exactly what's going to happen Anyway, so don't watch that one. Watch the Green Book. That'll be that'll be my sort of hint tip. No, and, like a, I'm looking forward and, to and go back to from Emma from the train just for some nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so I remember something similar. So I'm looking forward to. Uh, I I will be listening to the audiobook uh, in the car over the coming mm-hmm. days. So I'm looking forward to. I'm gonna I'm gonna be quite critical. That's right. Not of the book itself, but of the the narrator. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna think. How good this could have been if With this a, was Scottish yep. Tang. Yeah. So, but no, like great book. Uh, we'll put a link on it to the. I will. To I the will, Amazon. I will. I will. I think the next one will have a Scottish character in it. I think. I'll give you some tips on. I want it full of really obscure Scottish swear words. Obscure references and yeah, just things that. Uh, or oh, just the use of the term out with. Out with. Yeah, out with. It's my first time out with Scotland. If you, if you get the word out with into it, because that is one of the best words in the English language. No um, one uses it outside, out outside of Scotland. Out with Scotland. Out with, so out with is just outside. Uh, yeah. With, without and out with. Out with. Oh, so out with is, I live out with Scotland. It is out with his purview to be discussing this. <laughs> it's such a good word, but uh, I, don't, I honestly I did not know that it wasn't a common word. And then I looked at it, and in the dictionary actually, it says Scottish word. Uh, actually, one thing one thing I did notice with this one with the editors, because everything every Penguin in England is they're all based on the East Coast, and the editors, the two separate editors, well, and the publisher. So it was three separate people working on the manuscript, and they talk funny on that side of the world. They really talk like they they didn't. I got a question. What what do you mean by blue metal? I thought, well, I, I don't know what else you'd call it. It's just blue metal on the side of the road, like blue metal. Uh, road base, is it? Road base. Yeah, road I, don't, base. I, I don't know. Yeah. We, better, we better stop because then we're going to switch to potato cakes and potato scallops and <laughs> we're going to lose all our listeners. <laughs> I suppose a good thing about writing a book in WA is you've had plenty of time once you've been locked down for the last two years. So, Yeah, well, I haven't. I'm an essential worker. I was in tractors turning them around at the end of the run. Essential worker. Couldn't go on a holiday though. It's no, that's right. <laughs> but no, Michael, really appreciate you coming on. A bit different from a normal podcast, but I think you know there's twenty thousand Australian farmers out there sitting in tractors. Oh yeah, and, well, and yeah, ma- well, passes like ten hours. That's like one. That's not even a shift. 
you know you can, you can, you can, you, there's two things you can be doing that this seeding and harvest is mm -hmm. this seeding listen to wild dogs mm -hmm. or actually listen to this podcast first yeah then listen to wild dogs and then next harvest write your own book uh well yeah hope well well, hopefully, nice not, hopefully not doing any competitors, do we? No, 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 no more the merrier. That's um, that's the one thing about the writing community. Nobody gets precious about other writers. Like, what's the rising tide lifts all ships? So, if there's one successful writer, they will help others come up because if people enjoy a book, they'll go and buy another one. So that's that's basically how it works. Yeah. No, well, I'll I'll bring up my book next year. Yep, cool. A, a, Scot oh. a, a Scottish man in Australia. I'll read it and give it a cover quote. The, the trials and tribulations of working with Matt Douglas. <laughs> it would just, just, it would just be a series of, it would just be a series of memoirs of nights uh, um, with Matt. <laughs> the can, black pudding, can... the black <laughs> pudding <laughs> adventures. We we'll call it the black pudding adventures. Blood, sweat, and takeaways in Murray Bridge. <laughs> most of which was written while thinking about it in the shower. Oh, dear. <laughs> no worries. Well, thanks. Cool. Thanks again for coming along. No worries, uh, thanks for having us. And uh, I'll see you when you got nothing on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, guys.